Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. I'm Andrew Harris. And I'm Andrew Decker. What's up, man? Oh, well, I'm just living the dream. Living the dream. We've got cooler temperatures, lots or of Or the rain. nightmare, it's hard to tell. Or the nightmare. <laughs> dream or the nightmare. Uh, it's a dream. It's a dream. It's a dream. It's, it's a a dream. Either way, it's a dream. <laughs> but it is Halloween. It is. We're recording um, on the 31st. Right. Um, We're a little behind schedule. I see you've dressed up as a... Uh, as a losing football team. It's great. Good for you. He's wearing a Longhorn shirt, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Just a little jab for all you Longhorns hey, out there. Hey, I'm going to the Aggie game next week. Okay, I know you support it. Um, You know, what little there is to support right. that team. Um, All right, so... Hashtag fire Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> oh, man. <Me> too. Um, <laughs> you know... Andrew, we got another really great topic from our friend, the learned librarian of the UT Law School. She makes us look really smart. She does. Kasha Cristobal sent us another link to a very informative New York Times article about, um, uh, you know, when uh, the effect that uh, constitutional carry has had in Texas. I thought it very, um, very informative, uh, pretty enlightening. Um, some surprises contained in there, but right. we're not a, a necessarily... little, a little more hypothetical than we like to get into. Yeah. And so, you know, really, and you, everybody, all of our listeners can find it on uh, New York times website, but it's an article from October 26th. Um, and we're not really going to be talking about what the article, uh, you know, discusses, right. But right? it gave, it gave it, us a brainstorm. But if yeah. someone, if someone more learned than us wants to come on and talk about it, a professor or somebody who happens to listen to the show, we would love to have somebody talk about the article and really the effects of constitutional carry in terms of how that affects violent crime in the state of Texas. That would, I think, be a fantastic episode. I think it, our, our listeners really would uh, enjoy that. So please, right. please contact us, reach but out to neither, us. Neither, neither Mr. Harris nor I are smart enough to tackle that and keep our practice open. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to devote the time necessary. Right. We did we Yeah, because just a reminder, this is a hobby. This yeah. is a hobby for Mr. Harith and I. We love doing it. We have a lot of fun doing it. Um we both have very busy private practices. Right. And and this takes more time than I think we ever thought it would when we started this three and a half <laughs> years ago. Um so if But it's a if, labor of love, right? Yes. Um <laughs> because I love you and I love this job. Okay. Um, but if, <laughs> but if you want, if you or know someone who could talk about that topic, let us know. We'd love to talk about it. Where do they find us? Uh, they can find us on the web at texascrimdefense.com. They can find us on Twitter. Can uh, they? can. We have like 23 they followers. Oh, they okay. don't. Um, they can find us on Facebook. Uh, they can also just email Andrew Harris or Andrew Decker. Just Google us. They'll find us. Yeah. But we're going to talk about something related to that. And that is the overlap of like deadly conduct, terroristic threat, and aggravated assault, deadly weapon. Yeah. And then Mr. Harris going to kind of follow that up with some of the self-defense. Just a very brief overview of uh, Texas Penal Code, Chapter 9, where it discusses self-defense, deadly force, etc. Right. Because we've had cases, all these things. I've had these cases. You've had these cases. Sometimes in as little as something as a slap that a self-defense claim can come up. Um, and then obviously as large as uh, someone pulling a weapon. Um, and, and if our, and if our re you know, listeners read the, 
the New York Times article, you'll understand why we're talking about this. Constitutional carry has um, created kind of a, 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 I would say, a rather large influx of weapons out on the streets. And so we we have seen an increase in these types of crimes. And it's just and, and the increase of the claim of self-defense. Yes. Yes. Right. So so for me, I'm just going to throw one out recently uh, where the where that my client was charged with deadly conduct. Uh, we were going to claim self-defense and when, you know, like on the trial call docket, we said, Hey, you know, look, we're not taking this deferred offer because we think it was self-defense and we're not going to go into the details of the case. Uh, the County attorney said, we've already talked to the district attorney. And if you don't want to take the plea, we're going to charge you with ag assault, deadly weapon. And amazingly, my guy decided that, that the deferred for two years was not on the misdemeanor on the misdemeanor yeah. wasn't that bad. Yeah. Um, so how do they overlap? How can you do that? Most of the time you don't end up with a misdemeanor becoming a felony or a threat of it. Um, and obviously you didn't want to spend the money to try to defend that level offense. So this actually happens a couple different times in the penal code um, where the elements overlap. Uh, and so that it's kind of just an interesting uh, aspect of of Texas criminal jurisprudence and probably even just throughout the nation. Um, it's why it's codified in the code that prosecutors have uh, the discretion to choose which case they're going to proceed on. Right. Or if they proceed on anything, on anything at all. Right. Yeah. Just like officers have a discretion for the most part, you know, with giving a ticket or whatever. Prosecutors also have uh, discretion and and charging the cases that they want the to various, charge. The various gatekeepers of the... Uh, what? Yeah. Of the system. Right. right. So let, let's start with what my guy was charged with. He was charged with deadly conduct. Um, we're looking at chapter uh, 22.05A of the uh, Texas Penal Code or section um, of the Texas Penal Code. And it says a person a person recklessly engages in conduct that places another in imminent uh, danger of serious bodily injury. And then B is a person knowingly discharges a firearm at or in the direction of one or more individuals, or even a firearm at or in the uh, direction of a building or vehicle. Um. So. If if someone, you know, and again, my guy's claiming really wasn't self-defense, it was the self-defense of, of others' property. Someone else is on your property and you pull a weapon to tell them to leave. Well, that that probably gives them a sense that you really don't want them there. Sure. Um, so at that point, he may not have committed a deadly conduct um, because they're not in fear of, well, they're not in imminent danger of serious bodily injury. Just displaying it? Right. Okay. Right. Just pulling it out. Um, but once he discharges it kind of in the direction of the individual or towards the vehicle or building, um, well, now, now we've now we probably got we might have deadly conduct, but he's claiming I did it in defense of the property. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's how we got a defense. And 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 Mr. Harris is gonna go into those in a minute. Um, but we've pulled a deadly weapon and we've discharged it 
to place someone in fear of imminent bodily injury or death. What does that sound like, Mr. Harris? Aggravated assault. With? A deadly weapon. Right. I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's the elements. It's, right. it's, it's effectively the same elements. And actually, when, when I read it uh, the first time, I was surprised we were at a misdemeanor uh, class A because the discharge of a firearm actually makes it a third degree felony. I, they actually messed up even, yeah. in, even what they had, mm-hmm. um, uh, because the discharge of a firearm or the discharging the firearm towards a building or vehicle is a third degree felony, not a class A misdemeanor, which is where they filed it. Um, so that was to my client's benefit, but he still could have a self-defense claim. Absolutely. Yeah. But once they used those same elements and flipped it over to a, an aggravated assault deadly weapon, and let's just flip over in our in our hymnals, um, if you will. Uh, if you're following along at if home. You're following along at home, uh to twenty two oh two aggravated assault, a person commits an assault if uh they cause serious bodily injury, obviously, um, or uh exhibit a deadly weapon in the commission of the assault or 2202A2A2, a person knowingly, uh, oh, sorry, that'd be sexual assault. That's not it. Um, uh, where did I lose it? I've looked all this stuff it's up. On the section two or something like that. Where it says it, if you intend to what caused uh, threat of imminent bodily harm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so that doesn't even require the discharge of a right. fire. Just arm. displaying the weapon uh, could place them in imminent fear of, uh, of bodily harm. Right. right. Um, and so you end up with this. If you pull a weapon and you uh, act like you're going to use it, there we go. Threatens bodily injury 2201 a two, a person intentionally or knowingly threatens another including a person's spouse with imminent bodily injury. And so we talked about if I pull a gun out of my desk and place it or out of my desk and place it on the desk and go, I need to talk to you. And I don't even touch the gun again. Right. I've probably put whoever's in my office in enough fear of of imminent bodily injury because we're now just seconds, seconds away from death. Right. That they're going to do whatever I tell them. Yeah. And that I think, you know, that that obviously is a fact issue for the judge of the facts to determine right because if a if a jury believes the complainant that they were in imminent fear then the then it's guilty and if they are like yeah i don't know i'm not really buying that then it's not guilty or guilty on a lesser included but that that you know you can bet if you did that to me and i'm the complainant and i told a police officer that you're getting charged with it yeah, I'm going to get arrested for sure. Yeah, um, and and I wouldn't do that uh, to Mr. Harris or anyone else, most likely. Oh, I would. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, you would. <laughs> um, but you can see how by pull by by pulling that weapon out of its holster of its of the vehicle of your desk, you have already likely threatened serious bodily injury or death. And then if you discharge it, you've you you have deadly conduct if you discharge it towards a building or a vehicle recklessly without knowing if anybody's in it that's Probably. deadly conduct yeah. 
Um, but if I do it towards someone, I most likely have committed the offense in at least two two offenses at the same time, one being a third-degree felony, one being a second-degree felony. Um, uh, and depending on how that goes, the the prosecutor can semi-force you to take a plea on the lesser by saying, we'll, we'll walk it up the chain if we need to. Right. I mean, and that's, you know, a prosecutor, in my experience, is going to use any leverage they can to clear their docket and to get what they want. Right. And right. so, you know, maybe overcharging somebody in that instance, um, you know, while legal is just, you know, bad pool. But, you know, this is why the facts are so important. I've got a case where it's a felony deadly conduct because he's alleged, my client's alleged to have fired towards a building, which was empty at the time, but he's driving by, of course, there's alcohol involved. He's not driving, he's a passenger. And he's just kind of popping one off, right? Well, this like, this is in- The alcohol or the gun, he's popping one off. Both? Maybe both, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, stuff that he should not be doing. Certainly right. in city limits, right? And alcohol and firearms should never be, should never, never should mix. mix. And so he's he is definitely guilty of unlawful carrying of a weapon, um, you know, public intoxication plus uh, a possession of a firearm. Um, our contention is there's no doubt that he's firing a firearm. Our contention is he was firing it straight into the air, not at a building or at towards anybody. And the prosecutor keeps saying, you know, I just don't, I, I think this conduct is dangerous enough to warrant a felony. And I'm like, well, it is a crime. Uh, the law is very clear that it's a crime. It's a misdemeanor if you can't prove that he actually pointed it at this building without knowing that it was empty. Does that make sense? So this officer says that he sees it, but in the, in the video, and this is why it's so important to watch your discovery Yeah. in the video, he is so far back. You can't even uh, see the muzzle flash. So he's so far back, he sees basically a car that he thinks is these these gunshots are coming from, but you can't see a muzzle flash when he says he supposedly hears the gunshots. And so if he, if the video can't see it, how are the how is the officer going to be able to testify competently that he knows for a fact that it was pointed at the building and not straight up in the air? Daytime or nighttime? It was Just, nighttime. Hmm. Nighttime. It was like two a.m. And it was in Fort Worth. And if any of you know, it was West 7th. It's a very popular area. Uh, very. Very popular at that time. So definitely, like, he definitely needs to be prosecuted for something. However, I just don't think that it's a felony. I just think it's a misdemeanor. Uh, better argument, I don't think they can prove that it was a felony. If they can't prove that it's a felony, I think you got to result uh, resort back to the, the baseline charge as a Class uh, A misdemeanor deadly conduct. Now, Andrew, to your or your um, hypothetical situation there where you're pulling out a gun and putting it on the desk. Would it be different if I'm just holding it straight up in the air and not necessarily putting it down with a barrel pointed at you or something oh, like see, that? Oh, see, I wasn't even saying you have to point it at me, right? I mean, right, because there is a charge of uh, displaying a firearm. Correct. Uh, the Class B misdemeanor. Right. Basically, you unholster a weapon, unholster or, a weapon, or driving by and just kind of hold it up or whatever. Right. Um, it's you know, so it's so that, and let's let's remember, even with constitutional carry, the idea is not that we use our firearm to intimidate everyone else. Um, right. And so you you do start kind of going, okay, like I went hunting this last weekend. 
I felt bad. I had one, one rifle that I didn't have the case initially because it was with somebody else and just carrying it out to the car. I'm like, I get a little kind of like, I don't want someone thinking that I'm being reckless with it. Right. Yeah, not responsible. And, and, and it's unloaded. There's no ammunition near it. Right. And even that I kind of go, I don't want people to think that Mr. Decker is just willy nilly pulling his rifle out letting everybody see I'm walking down the street. Right. I'm, I'm taking it to the car and putting it in the car. I'm locking the car. That, that I think is like something that really gets kind of lost in the conversation a lot is with this, with constitutional carry, the loosening of, you know, gun control laws or the complete elimination of them, you know, we're not, we're no longer stressing gun safety courses, right? I mean, to, the, to get a hunting license uh, out of state, a lot of times you need to take the yeah. a gun safety course. Well, in Texas, if you want to get a hunting license and you were born on or after the September 1, 1971, you have to have a hunter's education course. Hunter's ed, yeah, that's what I mean. Right? A hunter's uh, education so, course. Which includes a little bit of gun safety. But not. But now, without anybody, can just clear a background check if they're buying it from a store, walk out with a, with a firearm. There is no education required. And no. part of that education is muzzle awareness. Right, yes. which is which is something. If you're a hunter, you understand. You need to know at all times where your muzzle is pointed. Make sure it's in a safe direction, not pointed at anybody or anything. Um, you know, and and the other safety items: never travel with ammunition in your vehicle, in your uh, firearm, like walking or hiking or something. Um, you know, and you know, we watch these videos of just people just kind of walking around with you know AKs strapped to their back or on their shoulder. And it's like, do you know where that well, muzzle is? Well, and, and is that weapon loaded? Is it? Is there something in the chamber? Is it on? Yeah. Is, Why even have one at all, right? Because you're, I mean, a lot, and it's election season, so we're not going to get into it, really. But, you know, a lot of the times people are, you know, they use constitutional carry for, for a reason that it's just not, it was never intended to. That makes my penis look big. I mean, does it? Or small, depending on your opinion. It makes you feel that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do think a lot of people, instead of using it for personal safety, they use it for intimidation. Right. And so, again, going back to the hypothetical of I put a weapon out on display. Oh, we need to talk about the law, not my opinion. Right. 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 Gotcha. Um, uh, I put a weapon out on the desk on display. I'm probably doing it to intimidate someone. I, why else would you do that? Right. To and, show it off? I mean, well, if I if I'm if I say to you, Mr. Harris, I want you to see this new uh Glock I purchased. Yeah. You probably then expect to see a Glock. Right. If you come in to talk to me about uh maybe a bill that I sent you and I pull out a Glock, you might go, "Huh. Don't really <laughs> want to talk about a bill anymore. I actually don't have any issues with this." Of <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, automatically, I've probably placed you in fear of imminent bodily injury with a deadly weapon. Yeah. If I point it in your general direction and discharge it, is it deadly conduct or is it ag assault deadly weapon? Well, I, you know, it could be both. Both are felonies discharging at or in the direction of a person. Um, although again, in multiple counties, I've had that charged as a, a class, as a class, a misdemeanor, for sure. And I don't argue well, that I kind of go, all be, right, 
to be fair though, that that code in the penal code is particularly dense. I mean, it is it's right. very, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, read it. It's hard to read. That's what I'm getting at. But still, ag assault deadly weapon has a lot more collateral consequences to it sure. than the deadly conduct felony, which is I think pretty interesting. I mean, just a deadly weapon finding. Right, a deadly weapon finding. What does that mean if I end up going to the penitentiary? Well, you have to do half. Minimum. Uh, minimum. You know what code section that's in now? 12, uh, not 12, I was about to say 1244A. Right. 42A. 42A. It was the it A used, that, it was the A that I was going for. We call it. Um, the you, Michelle the, Ochoa chapter. Well, that one is, yes. For the, an aggravated offense for parole purposes, we typically call 3G because that was the old Right, uh, code of criminal procedure section. It's been changed almost as long as you and I've been attorneys. But. I know it was probably changed when I first started practicing, and still I've just come to know it as three G. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, so when we're you good? Yeah. Okay. So that so it's very interesting. So if you have a fat a case like that, remember go back look at your fact pattern and something that Andrew does that I uh, on every single case that I really have picked up from him that I've started to do is just go back and read the code section, make sure that your charging instrument matches the language of the code section. That's very important. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, sometimes you figure out you're getting a good deal and the state doesn't even know it. Right. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly right. When you're discharging a firearm and they charge you with a class. How many times have you found just from doing that a prosecutor who says, Hey man, I've got an aggravated assault, deadly weapon. And in reading their indictment, They've mistakenly uh, used the language out of, you know, deadly conduct or something along those lines, right. you know, and you're like, yeah, we'll plead guilty to exactly what it says there. Right. It's I have, not I have, what I have a couple of cases is. that are coming with that uh, on a, I won't discuss it because it could go to trial sure. in the next couple of months, but the way it's indicted, I'm very tempted to let them read it. And then on what they think is a second degree felony and go judge, we would like to plead guilty to the indictment as written a class A misdemeanor. Exactly. Yeah. Dum dum dum. Let's hope they're not listening. They don't know who they are. They wouldn't know it. Anyways, let's look at turn your books to chapter nine of the Texas Penal Code. This uh t- this chapter is titled Justification Excluding Criminal Responsibility. So this means, right, if you are uh this is where you're gonna find self-defense, um, you're gonna find uh, necessity as a defense, all that kind of stuff. So let's, we're going to jump all the way down to section 9.31. That's where you're going to find self-defense. And it has a whole like laundry list of items of, of ways in which a, an individual in the state of Texas can defend themselves. Now this says, uh, and I'm just going to read here, a person is justified in using force against another when and to the degree the actor reasonably believes the force is immediately necessary to protect the actor against the other's use or attempted use of unlawful force. Now, there's a lot in that one sentence. There um, is. And it and actually goes on to kind of um, to expound on uh, uh, that one sentence. So it, it actually, you know, we can we can use self-defense against a third party. Um, the, you know, there's another section further down, uh, that says we can 
use deadly force in defense of a person. Um, you know, so sometimes that, uh, force that we use in self-defense can only match the force or, or, or can only rise to the level to, um, end the, the force the other person is using against us. Okay. There are some caveats. That's not, to that. that's not confusing at all. Right. So if you come up to me and you're like, you start punching me, right. You know, um, you know, can I use a gun? Sure. I can, but, uh, I may have an issue if I had some other non-deadly force means uh, to to make you stop attacking me, Correct. right? But if if I am being attacked, yes, you have every right to defend yourself. And I do not have to retreat in Texas. No, there is no retreat in right? Texas. It's, it's a not standard about, ground it's, state. It's not about your castle doctrine. You don't have to be in your house or in your yard. You can be basically anywhere. Right. Now, if I am provoking you in some way, Andrew, and you, you know, like basically inviting you to attack me or something, right? Or if you're engaged already in a criminal activity or you do not have lawful, you are not lawfully allowed to be wherever it is that this is happening. Correct. Right. So in all of those ways, if you start coming after me, like if you were defending your property or if you're like, okay, man, this dude asked me to punch him. Like if I'm like, Hey, Andrew, punch me in the face right now and you oblige, I can't then turn around and shoot you. <laughs> Please ask me to punch you in the face. Just, I've been waiting for this no, opportunity. No, no, I'd hate to shoot you, man. Um, <laughs> so, uh, which, you know, I recognize is, is a little ridiculous, but I'm sure it has happened, you know? And I, I'm sure somebody has been caught by this like, oh man, you mean I'm going to prison? Dang. Um, yeah, I can't. Again, before I was an attorney, uh, a house several doors down had had a break in at about eight fifteen in the morning. Weird scenario, but I, we're not getting into. And the owner of the home was present and shot the intruder. Completely, yeah. They, they the law enforcement came out. They didn't charge the guy that this the the intruder was actually wanted in several uh, robberies and thefts. Um, and they knew the owner right. It all it all worked out for the good of the homeowner but the intruder can't then pull a gun and say well he pulled a gun on me you do not lawfully have the reason to be in someone's home right. that you weren't invited into right that's that's what we're talking about Go yeah. ahead, continue yeah so i mean that's generally self-defense now this is a pretty long code section so before, you know, it is an affirmative defense. So before you um but before you start using self-defense on one of your cases in court, you need to make sure you read that over and make sure it applies, okay? So um also, you know, deadly force, you can use deadly force, you are authorized to use deadly force um in defense of of yourself in defense of a third party in defense of property, both real property and tangible or movable property. Correct. Okay. So, um, all of these things, you know, I, I think are, I, you know, I, I guess personally, I have not seen an increase in cases of, you know, deadly force as a defense when protecting property in my practice. I, I don't think I've seen I don't think I really have any cases where somebody is accused of shooting somebody because 
they were coming to steal their stereo or something like right. that. Right. Well, both of both of the deadly conducts, two different counties, both with the discharge of a firearm, both of them claimed protection of property. Right. One of a third party, one of their own stuff. Um, and when you read it, they go a little beyond, right? So you have self-defense to a certain point. I had a juvenile case where probably because of the bullying, if my guy would have walked up and just cold cocked this kid and walked away, we probably could have gotten a self-defense claim right, from the school. The problem is he hit him, then tackled him, and then beat the living tar out of him. Right? Nope. Mm, yeah, you, you, you went too far. So, yeah, I mean, right, because in subsection B of the self-defense section says the use of force against another is not justified in response to a verbal provocation alone. Correct. Uh, to resist an arrest or a search that's being made by a peace officer. Right. Now, there that's are good. some caveats to that now, right? Because um, if the officer is using unreasonable force, there is there is this that you can throw before a jury and, and you know, there's another subsection to self-defense there. Sweet Lord. That was added Jesus, on. I cannot imagine saying this officer was so unruly, so unreasonable that my client now I'm sure. Well, let's talk about it. Cause it's subsection C the use of force to resist an arrest or search is justified. If before the actor. So me, if I'm being arrested by a police officer, if before I offer any resistance, the peace officer uses or attempts to use greater force than necessary to make the arrest. And when and to the degree I reasonably believe the force is immediately necessary to protect myself against the officer's use or attempted use of greater force. Again. Good God Almighty, right? Right. So, so, so it's, again, when, it's a fact. It's a fact question. It, Put it before a, fact a jury. Question, but it, but let's go back to to real case scenarios. We have someone who's being arrested and they pull their arm away, and within fifteen seconds, they're on the ground, hands behind their backs, in cuffs, and they get charged with resisting. Right. the The pull away could be instinct. Yeah. They didn't threaten the officer. It took all of 10 to 15 seconds to completely neutralize the situation, and we still end up with a resisting charge. I cannot imagine trying to use this. Yeah, because it, it says that would be resistance, which would mean use of force is not it, it, it does not is not justified there. Right. I mean, it, you just kind of go, um, now, if it's all I've got, I, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah we might try it. Um, so, you know, there's, there is a lot, there's, um, you know, if the actor consented, if they provoked, if I provoked you and then didn't retreat when you re responded to that provocation, I just, I, you know, I don't have a right to stand my ground in that instance. Right. I have a duty to retreat. Um, from being provoked, not from being, well, hit. if I provoked you, oh, yes, you yes. came at me, i now have a duty to retreat. I do not have a right to stand my ground. Yes. Okay. So, guys, I mean, it's it really goes. I mean, it's from A to F, uh, in so section nine point three one of chapter nine. Take a look at it though; it's pretty interesting. Maybe it will help you in your cases. Um, but I, I think you know, 
who's to say, I mean, the, the New York times article is kind of like rides the fence. Um, I guess with the data that's out now, maybe it's still too early to tell. Um, you know, we have seen a flood of guns out on the market. Uh, but who's to say that won't level off at some point. Yeah. Uh, we love our guns. That's true. Especially in Texas. What else you got? America. Um, that's really it. So, so self-defense does work. I've actually about to been, uh, I've actually been on the morning of trial and had the elected county attorney say, Andrew, why are we trying this case? This is, you know, this is a, it's a, it's an assault. And I said, well, my guy's claiming self-defense. The, the, the county attorney went to the officer who had shown up and said, is there any chance there's self-defense in this? And the officer goes, well, yeah, yeah, I think so. And they're like, they came back and said, so we're not trying this case today. <laughs> um, why they didn't ask the officer that long before the morning of trial? Because I know I had mentioned, no, I'm not taking a deal. My guy's claiming self-defense. I mean, when you slap your neighbor and say, go inside, you're drunk. And the drunk guy's like yelling at people, cussing at people, you know, and took a swing at my guy. Yeah. yeah well, you know, hey, maybe, maybe he, you know, when it said, when, when both of them agree, yeah, he knocked my hand away and then he slapped me in the face. <laughs> that might be it. That may get you there. So, um, yeah. So, so make sure you know that, that deadly conduct, uh, and ag assault deadly weapon are in lots of cases mirrors not lesser included or greater um they are mirrors and that can that can you got to be able to argue why yours is one and not the other yeah um always know that if a self-defense claim is there you're gonna have to be able to prove it you have to admit to the offense basically and then claim self-defense because it's affirmative and you have to prove the affirmative defense beyond a reasonable doubt just like the case in chief was proved beyond a reasonable doubt those are things to remember that's what i got those are my takeaways yeah so thanks again to kasha cristobal the learned librarian of the ut law school uh friend of the show she should actually should be like executive producer as many topics as she she sends us well and she's way smarter than we are for sure without a doubt it's not very hard to accomplish no uh certainly not you know a certificate you want on your wall or would be proud of but she is what being smarter, than, smarter us. than us yeah, yeah yeah um all right guys well for andrew decker i'm andrew harris and for andrew harris i'm andrew decker y'all have a good one <laughs>